kids' way. Okay. So could you help me with yeah. that? Luke 15:7 tells us, I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so thankful that when we give our lives to you, it's, it's rejoicing in heaven. And Father, I pray that as those of us who belong to you, those of us who have given our lives to you, that we will dedicate our lives to helping bring other people to you so they're going to be rejoicing in a party all the time going on. Father, I thank you that we can come together this morning, and we are just blessed to be able to come together to worship you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. morning. It's good to see everybody today. It's a blessing to be together, isn't it? It's warm in here, okay? So that's good. Yes, and the wind is... And even if the ladies are saying it's warm, it must be too hot. But anyway, 
Uh, we're glad that you're with us today. Please make sure you, you fill out your connection card. If you want to do the one in the, in the bulletin, that's great. There's some uh, places you can do online. If you, also, if you look in the bulletin, the phone number's in there also. First-time guests, if you'll fill out the one that's the guest FCC, we'll send you two messages, one with the card, and the second one about four hours later with a four-question survey. And that's all we will use that for. So at this time, I uh, want to take time to just say thank you for being here, and we're here to worship the Lord together, and we're going to continue to do that in song right now as our praise team continues to sing with it, lead us in singing. You may be seated.
When you hear the word sin, what comes to mind? Don't go too deep with that, by the way. <clears throat> Today, if you want to get peace... Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. We're going we're gonna to have those during our Art of Marriage seminar, so I'm going to save, bank up some carbohydrates for that. I wish it worked that way. But um, anyway, um, when you think of sin... If you really want to get people to start rolling their eyes in this day and age, just start talking to them about sin, and they're going to be like, yeah, yeah, really. Outdated, antiquated, doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't apply to me. It's something that was for thousands of years ago, but today we're too sophisticated for that. Or other people, when you mention the word sin, the first thing that comes to mind is, well, if it's fun, I can't do it. You know, it's the way that you just remove fun from life. Some people say, well, the word means it, 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 it restricts my freedom to do whatever I want. And the courts are full of people that try to do whatever they want. And they get caught. But sin is something we need to take seriously in this day and age. It is not an antiquated concept. And the thing we need to realize is this, something, this is something we need to be thinking about in life. I mean, we don't need to just focus and say, you know, talk about sin all the time. But we need to be cognizant of what it's about. I mean, when you think about it, do we really feel like, as, particularly as Christians, that we can ignore what God says concerning sin because our situation is so unique that God will understand? That his laws and his rules and his guidelines really don't apply to me because here's why, and I've laid out why, and God will understand. Sin Is sin such an outdated concept that we can no longer take it that we no longer have to take it seriously the more important question for us is today regardless of what we think about sin what does God think about it what does Jesus think about it is it something that God blows off like it's no big deal or does God see sin differently than we do in our text today on the Sermon on the Mount Jesus is going to specifically be speaking on the subject of adultery now in the Old Testament adultery 
was understood to involve sexual relations between a man, married or single, and another man's wife or a virgin engaged to be married to someone else. You'll find that in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. The primary concern of the command against adultery was violating or defiling another man's wife. And this sin in the Old Testament was punishable by death. Man, that'd thin the population out quick today, wouldn't it? <laughs> Both the adulterous man and the adulterous woman were put to death, and it was, described, it was prescribed in Leviticus 20, verse 10. It says, if a man commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, both the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. And you know what's funny about that? It still happened. But anyway, I share this so that we can understand what Jesus is speaking of. However, in today's message, we are not going to really talk about adultery so much. We'll allude to it. But what we're going to do is we're going to use this passage to see how Jesus sees sin in general. Because in God's view, sin is sin, whether it's adultery, whether it's lying, whether it's stealing, whether it's cheating. Now, we realize from a, a human perspective that different sins have different consequences. For instance, if you go down and shoot 50 people, the consequences are different than if you tell a lie to somebody. But sometimes that lie can be more damaging. In the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is doing is he's taking his followers and he's trying to take them to a deeper level of commitment than what they'd been used to than what the Old Testament had required of them. We are speaking of moving from external controls, the Old Testament law, all the laws that the Jews made along the side of, side of the Ten Commandments, to having internal controls, to where, controls when, when, to where one controls oneself. Jesus expected his followers to take responsibility for managing their sinful habits rather than just relying on the elders of the city, the elders of the synagogue, or the religious leaders to monitor them on his behalf. He called his people to a different set of standards than what the folks were used to. The people of his day were used to having external controls placed upon them. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, among many other don'ts. But our society is getting so out of line, one of the things that we're seeing is we're seeing more and more external controls that, we're, that are put upon us because we're trying to restrain that which you cannot restrain. We're trying to restrain evil. We're trying to restrain people who, are, who don't want to do what's right, and we think, let's make a law. You know, every time we see some gun violence, the, the solution's always, well, let's make more laws. Well, the dude who, or the girl, whoever did it, already broke a bunch of laws. And those laws didn't restrain them. Or when somebody's going to come to your house and rob your house, if you put a sign, no robbery zone, you know, I don't think it's going to keep people from stealing from your house if they want to do it. And so what ends up happening is the Jewish, in the typical day of the Jewish person, their day was very regulated. And they had people watching them. And we, if we're not careful, we're going to get in the same spot. But the big idea to our message is simple. Jesus teaches us, to avoid sin, that antiquated concept that people think we don't need to deal with today, Jesus wants us to avoid it. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. This is, once again, part of the Sermon on the Mount. And in this passage, we will learn how Jesus views sin. Does he think it's antiquated? Does he think it's something we can ignore? Is, 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 is sin something that, well, depending on your circumstance, you know, situational ethics, whether right or wrong is being done. So we're going to begin in verses 27 to 28, and it says this. This is Jesus said, You've heard it said, you heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to desire her 
has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So when we're dealing on the subject of sin, one of the things that needs to happen is we need to guard your, you got to guard your thoughts. We have to guard our thoughts. Jesus uses this statement throughout the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said, and this ties back to the Old Testament command. In other words, you knew what the law, you know what the law says. It says, do not commit adultery. But then Jesus comes in and says, guess what, guys? I'm going to make this harder for you. Thank you, Jesus. And we're going to deal with the reason that you would even want to commit adultery. And he goes into a deeper line of thinking. It's a new line of thinking. This is a very, for us today, we don't see it. But during this time when he preached this message, this was revolutionary thinking. Because, see, according to the Jewish law, with that external control, as long as you didn't do the act, you're good to go. It's pretty straightforward. Do not commit adultery. You either obey it or you don't. You don't sort of commit adultery. Okay? So we don't sort of sin. We either sin by disobeying God or we obey him. You either pass the test or you fail the test. And the external system is one of pass-fail. When we were in school and in college and different levels of our education, did you ever take tests that were just pass-fail? You know, you just passed or you failed it. There was no gray area. There was no, well, can we discuss this? No, you need to get this. You either pass it or you fail it. I remember my first driving test. Real, what a real bummer that was. It was embarrassing when my mom had to drive me on my date that night. But anyway, God, <laughs> yeah, it was very embarrassing. But anyway, you pass or you fail. And when I failed my driver's test, there was no redemption. Pass it, you fail it. You get your license or you don't. That's Old Testament. That is how the Jewish people lived. And so as long as you didn't do this act, nothing else mattered. And if you failed in this act or any of the other things God said you not to do, you couldn't explain it away. You couldn't make excuses for it. You passed or you failed. See, when you are externally controlled, one of the things about it is you don't have to worry about your thought life. You just obey. You know, the speed limit, what is it, 60 or something down Fry Boulevard? I can't, I can't remember what it was. But when you go down Fry Boulevard, I don't care how stupid you think the speed limit is. All you got to do is obey it as closely as you can. No, all you, all you got to do, do is obey it. And when you get pulled over and the officer says, well, Mr. Anselmo, you're going 65 and a, whatever the speed limit is. What is it, 35? I can't remember. And I say, well, you know, I think that the speed limit's stupid. I should be able to do what I want to do as long as I'm not driving ignorant, you know? And the officer, as he's writing this ticket, is just laughing. Well, wait a minute. Um, I'm going to donate my kidney. That's my excuse. And he's still writing his ticket. Well, you understand, my grandmother died three times today. Uh, you know, I'm going to get the ticket. You break it or you don't. Doesn't matter what the excuse is. See, the thing is, I can go down Fry Boulevard obeying the speed limit, and I can be mad about it. I can have a terrible attitude about it. I can think horrible thoughts about any judge that would put a, put a fine on me for breaking that speed limit. But the fact of the matter is, as long as I don't break that speed limit, I'm not breaking the law. The external control is keeping me within where I'm supposed to be. So once again, on this particular subject, as long as you didn't act it, Hypothetically, you could lust for everything that walks by your eyes. 
You could think whatever you wanted to think. I don't really believe God intended it that way. But when you look at the law, it says, don't do it. Okay, I didn't do it, but man, I'd like to do it with every person that walks by. You know, that's a problem. But not so much in the Old Testament. See, there are a lot of people that would be very comfortable in that system because they don't have to think. They just either obey or they don't obey. They don't have to think about what they're thinking. They just got to obey the speed limit. Doesn't matter what you think about it. Here's a for instance. We... We allow our children in public and many private schools to wear whatever they want. Well, there are dress codes, which is kind of a joke when you see what goes in and out of the high school. But there's a, a supposed dress code, but that dress code can be pretty gray. And then your kid, but when your kids wear uniforms to school, when, when we, if we send our kids with uniforms, you don't have to think about what to wear. You know, you're in the military. You don't wear whatever you want to wear, except I noticed on our military pictures, one of our Air Force guys, Roger, uh, was wearing whatever he wanted to wear, but I'm sure he was uh, not on duty at that point. But when you have a uniform and the standard of the uniform says, this is how it is, there's no moving it. It is solid. This is what you wear. Well, now you're not putting the teacher in a position to tell some young man or young lady, that their school violates, that their clothing violates the school dress code. There's no ambiguity. If the kid shows up without a uniform, they violate it. There's no discussion. But see, what happens a lot of times with these kids today, they go to school the way they go, and the school, some teacher's put in a bad spot, says, you know, you really need to hide that stuff, guy or gal, and you're violating the school code. Then the parent will come in instead of saying, Janie, man, I can't believe you wore that, or Johnny, why are you wearing those stretch pants like that? Um, they argue with the school, and there's a big fight over it instead of just... So, without uniforms, see, you're wearing... You, you wear whatever you want, pretty much. And it makes it much diffi more difficult. If you're wearing a uniform, you don't have to think about it. You know, somebody's a police officer, for instance, they don't have to get... What am I going to wear today? It's the same thing. Uh, long, long time ago, contemporary Christian artist Rich Mullins, they said that he wore jeans... He had a closet that had jeans and white shirts. That's it. That's all he wore. Didn't have to think about it. But see, Jesus is trying to get the people from the external control of the Old Testament to an internal one, where now what you think matters. It's not just a matter of don't do what I told you not to do, but now we're also going to look at the attitude that would cause it. Think about this. If you don't have a desire for another person, will you commit adultery with them? Nope. See, Jesus goes to the root of it, goes to the heart of it. Jesus tells us if we look at a woman with lust, we've already committed the sin of adultery with her in our heart. That's rough, isn't it? I mean, that's a very high standard. Now, what this is not talking about, it's not talking about somebody who passes by and you see and say, oh, that, that person's very handsome, or that person's very pretty. That's not a problem. But where the problem is, is when it goes... And if you're by your wife, you're going to get shot, by the way, and that probably isn't a sin. But anyway, the problem is, you notice when you look at the passage, I like the way the NET translates it. See somebody with, and desires them. There's the problem. When you're desiring somebody who's not your spouse, you are breaking what Jesus says we shouldn't be doing. Um, when we look at somebody and it stimulates that desire, we need to turn away. We need to correct our thought patterns. It's not noticing, but it's fixing your eyes and fixing your thoughts. We're going to see sin all around us. We're going to see it, but we have to not desire it. The word translated look in this passage 
indicates continued action. And it also means with purpose. You don't just notice somebody and say, oh, she's really pretty. You're like, oh, and you can just take it from there. Lust is an overmastering desire for something that's not ours, for something that's not ours. And that could be in many things. It's not just in the, in the, in the sexual realm. It's in a lot of things. You know, a lot of people today don't want to work for what, what they have. They want to take it from somebody else. You're desiring what other people have. You're jealous of, what other, of other people's wealth or of other people's position. And instead of working to get the same thing, you're like, I want it quickly. I want that. That's, that's sinful. That's lust. Jesus tells us if we are, allow ourselves to be driven by the overmastering desire, we've crossed the line. So how do I know if I just notice somebody versus going across the line? It's when I continue to dwell on it and think about it and look at, the, look at it and look at them and say, that's what I want. See, if you want to defeat sin in your life, which we'll never be 100% able to do, the battle is in the mind. That's what Jesus is basically saying. He says, hey, it was said you don't commit adultery, but you know what? The way you won't commit adultery is if you fix what's in your mind. And he uses the word heart to include mind. Check what's going on in your thought life. James tells us in James chapter 1, he said, but each one is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires. Then when desire conceives, it gives birth to sin. When sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. And so we see that progression here. We start desiring something. And then when we start desiring something, it builds in our thought life. And then that all of a sudden conceives, it gives birth to sin, and eventually it leads to death. When our desires go unchecked, those desires destroy us. And if you look at the root of a lot of crime that happens, it's because people are desiring what's not theirs. It's people wanting something that they haven't earned, so they're going to take it, or they're going to defraud somebody so they can have what somebody else has. We have to guard our minds and to guard our thoughts, but how do we do that? Well, there's a lot of ways, but one of the, just one of the passages in Psalm 119.11, in my heart I store up your words so that I might not sin against you. Remember, I beat on this drum a lot, but when Jesus was tempted by Satan, when Satan was trying to get him to, to fall away from God, what did Jesus use? Scripture. He used God's word. He used the Old Testament scriptures to fight Satan off. And so when you are dealing with temptation and struggles in your life, one of the best ways to fight it off is to fill your mind with God's word. Because that thing will start to come before you, and then God's word through the Holy Spirit will say, hey, you really want to think about this where you do this? This isn't something you really want, or a passage will come to mind. It's amazing how it works. What, we keep the word stored in our minds and our hearts. 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us, or 10.5, I'm sorry, says, And every arrogant obstacle that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to make it obey Christ. So there's another thing that we can do when we're facing these things and looking at things we shouldn't in ways we shouldn't be looking at them. We can take those thoughts to Christ and say, Lord, help me, help me. Sometimes we see something, and then all of a sudden, man, we go from zero to 100 and nothing flat. That's when we're like, God, I need your help. Holy Spirit, within me, I need to get my mind off this. Sometimes you just got to say, Satan, leave me alone, because the enemy knows your weakness, and he'll make sure that weakness is exploited. But when you're willing to take your thoughts captive to Christ, it changes things. It makes you think about what you're thinking. We need to take our thoughts to Jesus. The standard that Jesus set is not easy. 
particularly in this day and age, because we have a steady stream of immorality flowing to us from media, whether it's the television, the movie theaters, books, music, commercial, even commercials. I mean, for paper towels, for heaven's sakes. I mean, everything that we see has got some corruption to it. And so we've got this stuff flashing before us. I think, I think young boys today, you know, they've had so, they have so much stuff flash in front of them, they're almost, they're almost just callous to it. You know, when I was a kid, and if I saw the way some of the people go to school, I'd have gone crazy because I wasn't a Christian then. Um, a lot of the kids, eh, whatever. They see it so much, it's like, eh, they're callous to it. These streams are constantly pulling us to look at things lustfully, as Jesus put it. Now, we must guard our thoughts. Philippians 4.8, very familiar passage, says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is worthy of respect, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if something is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Your mind is not just going to be blank. Your thought bubble's always got something in it for the most part. The question is, what is it? What are you filling your mind with? When those things come before you that, would be, that are very tempting, how do you stop it before it turns into sin? You stop it by dwelling on what God wants you to dwell on. And you think, well, that's kind of simple. Well, it kind of is. It's not real complicated. Now, is it easy to do? Not always. But if you don't have God's word within you, you can't do it. This is why it's important we spend time in the word. Because it's like if you're going to go on a 500-mile trip, and you're, you're, let's just say a 300-mile trip, and your, your vehicle has a 200-mile range like my truck does, if you don't stop and get fuel, you know, when I drove back to Missouri, I was stopping every 200 miles <laughs> putting gas in big rig man he, he loved that gas but the thing is when the gas runs out you're not going anywhere so depending on how full your tank is of scripture will depend on how will help you will help determine how much you can fight it off very little you'll fight it very little a lot you'll be able to fight a lot let's look at verse 29 now it's going to get rather draconian if your right eye causes you to sin tear it out and throw it away it is better to lose one of your members than to have your whole body thrown into hell. Whew. So we need to guard our eyes. You know, the eyes have been called the windows to the soul. The phrase causes you to sin that's used here means to, to fall, but it's used into a form. The form that it's used here is often used of a bait stick that has bait that when you grab the bait, the trap springs and you're, and you're caught. It's like when I go fishing, you know, when uh, Fishing's when you have, anyway, for those of us from Missouri know how to do this. But anyway, I throw the line out and I got a bait on it. And I'm trying to get that fish to come get it, think it's something good to eat and whoosh, set the hook, reel him in. And that's what this is talking about. When it says, if your eye causes you to sin, if your eye causes you to see that bait and say, man, I want that, Jesus is saying here, it's better to pluck your eye. Now, he's not literally telling you to go pull your eye out because all of us would be missing our right eye right now. But what he's talking about is he says, if your eyes that stumbling block, that's what's basically going on here. Anything that morally or spiritually traps us, which causes us to fall or to stay in sin, should be eliminated as quickly as possible. So our eyes, I don't know, some people are very visual. Uh, men a lot of times are very visual. That's why part of the reason God made you ladies so lovely, because you know we need to keep the species going, and if we're not attracted, it dies out. But men are very visual, so when we see things things start happening. And if you were in our uh, marriage uh, counseling or our marriage classes that we did with our, um, our life groups, those of you who didn't know that, know that now. But the thing is, you have to guard your eyes. 
there are certain times you have to turn away. There are certain things when that comes before your view, you can't help it if it walks in front of you, but you can help what you do at that point. You have to guard your eyes. Jesus says that if that eye causes us to sin, we have to, we have to do something about it. The right eye was considered more important of the two. It was considered more serviceable than the left. And so what, what we're, what, the reason he uses right eyes to say, hey, your most important eye, that's the one that needs to go. In battle, the right eye was considered more serviceable than the left. I guess maybe because there weren't a lot of left-handed people. I don't know. But anyway, Jesus, like I said, isn't saying to rip it out. He's saying hypothetically. He's using hyperbole. And these de de deliberate exaggerations to make a point. How does Jesus see sin? He sees it in such a manner that says, if your eyes are causing you to sin, you're better off without them. You're better to go blind than to end up in hell because you can't control your lust and desires. Many times, what we see is what we want. Commercials. You see a commercial and they put something up there, you see it, man, I, I really want that. But if you don't see it, you, you, you might not, you're not going to want it. Look at the progression of thought that goes on. We see this with David in 2 Samuel. It says this. One evening, David got up from his bed, walked around his roof of his palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. Now, the woman was very attractive. Now, so far, for one thing, David should have been out on the battlefield, you know, but anyway, he wasn't. So David's kind of lounging around. He looks across the way. And it was very common for people to do baths that way in that time. But he sees a woman, which still isn't a problem. But when he saw that she was very beautiful, he couldn't turn away. So here's what happened. So David sent someone to inquire about the woman. The messenger said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent some messengers to get her. She came to him and, went, and he went to bed with her. Now that that time, she was in the process of purifying herself from her uncleanliness. Then she returned to her home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, surprise. She sent Maury, what is his name, Maury Povich or whatever. You are the father. But anyway, so David, he's where he shouldn't have been. He should have been in the battle, but he wasn't. He was looking. He sees that woman over there. He says, whoa. Okay, now, how could he have stopped this in its tracks? Number one, he should have been at the battlefield, but let's, let's take that aside. When he saw her, he should have turned away, shouldn't he? But see, the scripture tells us she was attractive. Now, I wonder if she wasn't attractive, I don't think he would have given her a second look. But he, she was attractive. So what did he do? His progression is he saw it. And then he's like, okay, now it's working in his mind. And then he says, I gotta go send some, I gotta find out about this chick. Whoa, she's a smoke show. So he sends somebody to inquire. Oh, yeah, that's Bathsheba. And then even at that point, he could have said, Okay, I gotta get a grip on myself. You know, God loves me. I, you know, he's treated me well. I don't really need this. But no, he has to go the next step. Bring her to me. And so he does. And and then, lo and behold, even then he could have said, Okay, wait a minute, this is wrong. Hey, Bathsheba, I'm the king. Nice to meet you. Boy, you're pretty. You need to go home to your husband. But he didn't do that. He got busy with her. And then she comes back. Surprise, I'm pregnant. Well, see the progression? See, it wasn't David's fault necessarily for seeing her, but from that point on, it was all on him. 
He couldn't go to God and say, well, you know, look, you made her hot. I can't help it. I'm just, I'm a man, you know. It's just the way it is. And I'm the king. I can have whatever I want. I want her. You know, it didn't work out that way. That sin just dwelt within him. That desire just built within him. And finally, he snapped, and he did what he shouldn't have done. The fact that he brought her to his chamber, committed adultery with her, expressed his immoral desire that he had in his heart. And this is what Jesus is saying. If you look at a woman or look at a guy with lust and desiring for them in your heart, you are committing sin. Now, what does Jesus think of sin? He doesn't think it's a good thing. Job had it right in Job 31.1 where he said this, I made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I entertain thoughts against a virgin? In other words, he knew what he shouldn't be looking at. And he, he made a covenant with his eyes. He wasn't going to look at it. The images that we take into our eyes can last a lifetime. And we must guard against this. I still remember stuff I saw when I was a kid. Don't you? So once you get those images, once those get into you, they're burned into your memory. We need to keep our eyes and our thoughts on Jesus. And if we do that, it will, very, that will help. If you have a spouse, that's where your eyes and your heart should be. Yeah, pretty people are going to walk by you. It's going to happen fine. But your heart and your mind should be on your spouse and not on somebody else. When we're tempted to, when we're tempted to let that look linger, we need to think of that person as a brother or sister in Christ instead of an object that we want to use. Another thing we can do when sin comes from before us is we can flee. Scripture talks about that. Jesus takes sin so seriously that he says, look, if your eyes are going to cause you to do this, or later on we'll talk about the hand briefly, you need to cut them off. You're better off without them than to be led down the path of sin that's down the path of destruction. That's pretty, that's pretty tough stuff. Let's look at verse 30 for a final thought. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better to lose one's, one of your members than to have your whole body go into hell. So the third thought here is we need to guard our actions. This is the external control, but this control of guarding your actions is no longer external. Oh, I'm afraid to get caught, okay? We got a lot of people that get caught. They're sorry that they got caught, but they're not really sorry. They did it. But the thing is, Jesus is saying if we have this issue where we are guarding our thoughts and we're guarding our, our eyes, guess what? Guarding the actions becomes much easier because we won't have the desire for those actions. Jesus employs the same hyperbole that he uses about the eyes when he speaks of the hand. Now, when he talks about the hand, this is a reference to, it's, it's, it's an allusion to actually doing something. It's, it's committing the act. And he says, we have to guard those actions. We cannot let that happen. And as I said, if you're doing the other two things, the actions really take care of themselves. If you're not looking at people like you shouldn't, you're not going to commit adultery with them. If you're not lusting after other people's stuff, you're not going to steal from them. If you don't harbor hate in your heart, as Jesus talks about earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, you're not going to, do, you're not going to act in malice toward them. There's a lot of things. I forgot the name of the movie now, uh, and the name of the actor just slipped my mind. The movie where the guy whacked his arm off when he was out. That was, uh, anyway, his name, his real name was Aaron Ralston, and he cut his right arm off to survive a hiking accident in Utah's Blue John Canyon. Wow. Ralston accidentally loosened an 800-pound rock in a narrow space. It caused his hand and his forearm to be hopelessly pinned beneath it. He remained there with little food or water for five days until he had to take the last option, the option, excuse me, of last resort. 
Search and rescue volunteer Rex Tanner says, I think the number one thing is he kept his head. He didn't keep his arm, though. Ralston is experienced in backcountry, and that experience builds confidence. In an emergency situation, confidence builds a stable frame of mind. Now, this whole thing, now, obviously, if Ralston would have made wiser choices, like tell people where he's going to be, maybe have a sat phone and some other things, he wouldn't have to do this. But the thing is, he, he had to decide whether he was going to die or whether he was going to cut his arm off and survive. I can't, and he had, if I remember right, it's just like a pocket knife. I don't know how you do that. But anyway, when you're going to die, you'll do a lot of things. But what you have here is he had to make that decision, and Jesus, in a very real way, is saying, you need to make that decision. Are you going to continue to allow yourselves to be pinned on these 800-pound boulders that are holding you back, or are you going to cut off the source and live life? I would encourage you to make a good choice and don't cut off your arm. But Jesus takes sin seriously, and he expects us to also. Therefore, we must keep ourselves away from things that will cause us to sin and help others avoid the same things that cause them to stumble. In other words, we don't want to cause them to stumble either. In our application this morning, what we have here is it's just simply this. Jesus provides us this hyperbolic illustration telling us to avoid sin so strongly that we'd rather cut off our sin-causing limb than risk sinning again. And so our, our main thought of this is this. Jesus takes it seriously. It's not antiquated. It's not old-fashioned. It's not just a question of, well, I'm trying to take away your fun. God gives us what he gives us because he wants the best life we can possibly have. And when you think about sin in general, what sins do we, can we commit that will make our lives better? None. Maybe momentary joy, but the consequences. You know, I'm sure David had a lot of fun with Bathsheba until she came back. I'm pregnant. Well, those chickens come home to roost when we, when we live in sin. And so we have to do what we can to, to avoid them. And God gives us a way to do that. This morning, if you've not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we're going to give you the opportunity to do it. You know, a lot of times people, particularly when we start dealing, delving into this part of the Sermon on the Mount, some people say, well, see, that's why I don't want to follow Jesus, because he's just trying to take my fun away. And it's not an issue of taking your fun. It's an issue of protecting you. Those of you who've had children and have raised them, was your goal as a parent just to make sure your kids had no fun? Now, your kids think that, and I thought that was my parents' job, is, oh, you're going to just keep me from having fun. But the truth of the matter is, what they were doing and what you were doing is you were trying to protect them. You were trying to give them boundaries from which they could have a great life and not ruin their life. And God sets boundaries for us. Why? Because he loves us. And he wants you to have the best life you can have. And if you need that this morning, we invite you to come forward. We're going to stand and sing our song of decision. And as we sing that song, if you, have, if you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to extend the right hand of Christian fellowship with you, to you. And if you uh, need prayer this morning, if you'd like to come forward, either myself or one of our elders, Roger, would be glad to pray with you. But if you have a decision, we invite you to come forward this morning as we sing our song of decision.
writing to Timothy, he said, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Memory is a very important factor in our lives. We're moved to recall patient, loving, devoted care we received from our parents when we were growing up. We collect mementos to remind us of important events in our lives and the thrill that they provided. Photographs remind us of important events from the past. We wear a simple band of silver or gold on our third finger of our left hand, 60 years for Luella and me, uh, to remind us of the sacred vows that we took so long ago. The Lord's Supper is a reminder of the price that was paid for our redemption the sufferings of our Lord that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And when he said that, he was expressing a very important desire on his part to be remembered. We all like to be remembered. He was no different. When the world uh, crashes down on us, he knew that we would need to remember him. When temptations are thrust upon us, he knew that we would need to remember him. When we are overwhelmed by our surroundings, our circumstances, he knew that we would need to remember him. He knew that we would need to keep him before our mind. And you know what? Doing that really helps. Remember me. Not just at communion time. Not just while you're in church, but remember me each day, each hour, each minute. It will strengthen you. It will encourage you. It will help you. It will carry you through. Just remembering what he went through for you sustain you and help you to carry on. As we partake of the bread and the fruit of the vine, remember the words of the Apostle Paul when he wrote again to Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. It will help you if you will. It will help you to take your stand foot of the cross. Lord God, we thank you for 
giving us a rememberer because our forgetter is too good. Help us to remember Jesus, not just here at the table, not just here in the church building, not just when we're together with Christian friends and loved ones, all the time, all the time. For it will thus help us be more successful in living for you. In Jesus' name, amen. On the inside of your bulletin, we have announcements, and we've got a couple other th that we'll make also. But uh, Young at Hearts at noon tomorrow, not at 10 a.m., unless something changed that I'm not aware of. Uh, Jerry's got his groups going tonight. Roger's group is meeting this evening. Jules is going to have the LOL group. We have all of our Bible studies. Uh, there's a security team meeting um, Saturday, and also the ladies' spa, and we'll, we'll let them talk about that in just a moment. Uh, ministry team, sign up if you would like to sign up to do some things for the Lord here at the church. We have sign-up sheets in the foyer, and you can also do it online. Uh, if you are already doing something and you want to continue to do it, you don't have to sign up again. We're going to assume you're going to do it. If you want to back out from something, sign and tell us that, you're, that you need to take a break from it. If you want to do other things, you need to sign up for those. Um, Operation Christmas Child is still accepting donations for socks, undergarments, and, and, and gloves throughout the month of March. 
And also right now, um, we're getting ready to kick off an Art of Marriage seminar. And there he is. There's Dale back there. I want to show you a clip, and then Dale's going to come up and give you an explanation. I'm afraid we're going to have a generation of people who at the end of their lives look back at a fork in the road where they headed toward isolation and a loss of hope. The last two generations of our family, there have been 25 marriages and 22 divorces. And what does it do to children when they see the image of that being ripped apart? What the cross promises of marriage is fresh starts and new beginnings. We as a congregation have an opportunity, and this is it. I was with Family Life for nine years, and actually I had the privilege of launching the Art of Marriage, and I saw this Art of Marriage used in communities all over the United States, seeing people's lives changed. It not only helps marriages, but it brings people to Christ when we focus on marriage and the God's blueprint for that. So we're going to be doing this, um, and I'm going to ask all of you to be part of it because all of us can invite somebody. I think God would love to see 100, 150 couples in here for that time, because their lives will be changed. Back in the back, uh, Jeff has set up a, an area. We've got a couple of computers set up there that if you want to register right now, you certainly are free to. There's also some materials in your bulletin. You should have this. And it kind of explains a little bit about the art of marriage. It also has that funny little thing in the corner called a QR code, which a lot of us don't use very often, but I'll tell you, the younger people do use it a lot, and that will take them directly to the registration site on, on the church website. There's also one other tool out there, and it's this. It's called a Save the Date card, and it just has information about it. I encourage you to take a couple with you today, and if you know somebody in your neighborhood, couples that you know, invite them to this. I'm just excited to see what God is going to do through this event at our church. And uh, registration for that's $45. It includes all the materials, and it includes a lunch on Saturday and then sinful donuts on Sunday morning. And, um, and um, so you'll see that information as you sign up. Um, You'll sign, if you want to sign up, well, once you sign up, it's, it's non-refundable, so make sure you're going to come. We have to do that to keep people from signing up, and then we get all these materials, and they don't show up. So make sure you're sure. We'd love to have you here for it. It's going to take place on April 28th and 29th, and you'll see information about that. And um, I've got an iPad set up. I tested it. I've been testing it. It seems to be working, although I had a little glitch with my payment, but I think it's working okay. So if we have a problem, we'll let you know that. But anyway, at, um, we want to we're going to be promoting this through after Easter, and then we'll we'll close off registration. We're in contact with the fort, so we're hoping to get a lot of soldiers to come through. So right now, uh, the ladies' spa they have something they would like to share. Good morning. 
<laughs> um, I just want to share, um, I know I've talked to you guys before, and if you're new, you'll, you'll catch up fast, but I wanted to share what SPA um, and invite you and encourage you to um, invite other women. This is a time that we, Robin and I, definitely pray for attendance, but we also pray for hearts. Um, it is such a joy. This year has been beautiful, and I feel absolutely blessed to have been a part of SPA because just seeing how many women show up, um, there are just great and beautiful things that God does that I can't even explain because God is so good to us. And if you feel that there is somebody that just needs to be invited or get to know a heart, I encourage you to invite them. I will have flyers. Robin and I will be back there and handing them out. If there is somebody that is in the community that just needs to know that they are loved or they want to get to know, or if you want to get to know some women in this church, I would absolutely encourage you, no matter where your heart is, to come. We don't ask very much of you. Just come, bring your beautiful selves, and attend. Uh, Lori Jacobs is actually hosting this year, or this time, sorry, this time for us in her home. Uh, she's opening her home to us. There'll be light refreshments. We are not asking you to do anything uh, corny or make a fool of yourself. The only thing you need to do is just show up. It is this Saturday, the 25th, at 10 o'clock at Lori Jacobs' house. I have a flyer with her address. Uh, it's near um, Uptown Theater. That's the area. If we're doing it early so that we hope to not break up your day on a Saturday, and you can come for just a few hours and, and just share God's love. Uh, maybe somebody just needs to know that you're there for them. Uh, we have first service and second service people coming. So it's just a good time to also get to know both services. So if you have any questions, please reach out to Robin or myself. We would absolutely love to see you. We encourage you to come and uh, just open your ears, but also invite. Um, there's just got to be somebody that just needs to know that they are loved and honored and what God can do and will do for them. Thank you for your time. Oh, and Robin has something, sorry. <laughs> so theme for SPA this year are all some of the verses that talk about one another, how we're to treat one another. And Joanne had asked me to read this uh, story, and I thought about how that really ties into honoring one another. Sometimes we forget to honor other people's choices because we don't understand the motives behind their choices. Getting to know one another can help us to respect and honor one another better. So uh, this is the story that Joanne wanted me to share with you. Jack Salberg is a world-class biologist, but more importantly to him, Jack Salberg is a dad. And one day Jack got the call that makes every parent tremble. There had been an accident. His son was lying in the wreckage of a flipped car on the side of an embankment with a ruptured aorta. The doctors told Jack that 90% of those with such an injury never make it to the hospital. Of those that do, 90% don't come home. Jack's son survived. Jack's son came home. But the doctors warned the family that this isn't at all uncommon for adolescents who've had such a near-death experience 
to regress during their recovery, and Jack's son did. And so Jack camped out on the living room floor for weeks. When his son was finally ready to move back to his bed, for a full year, Jack read Narnia or played guitar to him. Then there were the years of lingering neurological issues. Different sides of his body had different temperatures. Periodically, his son would wake up and find he couldn't walk. The specialists were unsure whether he'd ever come back. Then one day, Jack walked into the house and found his son with his Bible open reading Psalm 71. His son looked up at him with tears in his eyes, and the words came tumbling out, Dad, I'm not sure the Bible has ever spoken to me like this before. But as for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more, Psalm 71:14. Dad, I want to fight, and I'd like to have this tattooed on me. Jack demurred. We have the Bible written on our hearts, son. We don't need it written on our bodies. I know, Dad, but I want to write it on my body for when my heart forgets. Just reading these words brings tears to my eyes. For when my heart forgets. The gift of the book of Psalms is that it prays for us when we can't. It reminds us of our inheritance when our heart forgets. And so, Jack's son got his tattoo Line 1 of Psalm 71:14, And a few years later, when this young man successfully hiked the entire Muir Trail, he added the second line to his tattoo. What did Athanasius say? The Psalms have a unique place in the Bible, whereas most of Scripture speaks to us. The Psalms speak for us. Are you in a space where you can't find the words or the energy to pray for yourself? Let the ancients pray for you. Pray the Psalms. On the uh, inside of your bulletin, we have prayer concerns and prayers of celebration. Um, we ask that you take note of those. Um, we have a lot of things to be thankful for, a lot of things we're lifting up. Continue to be in prayer for um, Mike. He is uh, Fred, ne uh, Fred Niece's friend who is continuing to deal with a life-threatening illness, and hopefully they will be able to help get him back on track. So let's stand together now, and let's, um, let's take our hearts to the Lord in prayer, and then I'll close this with a word of prayer, and the praise team will lead us out with song. Let's bow before God. Lord, we're thankful that we could lift our hearts in unison to you with all the requests that we have of you and with all the, the situations. We pray you be with Mike, Lord, and help him to be healed. Father, we have so many folks that we've been, we've been lifting up to you, and we just pray that each one receives a blessing from you. Lord, we thank you that we could be together this morning, and I pray as we live life that we, that we live it knowing who we serve. And Lord, that we just treasure our, your word in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
joining us for church this morning. Have a wonderful week in the Lord, everybody.